Today we're going to take a quick look at the first section of the apocalypse. In this section, St. John sees our Lord walking among seven churches in Asia and reporting their spiritual condition. In other words, he's showing that he's alive, he's present in the church, and he's watching exactly what's going on. The seven churches, the fathers tell us, are representative of the whole church, and each one of the individual churches symbolize a particular spiritual condition of a bishop, the letters are written to a bishop, of a bishop, of a diocese, of a parish, or of an individual. So our Lord commands St. John to write a letter to the bishops of these seven different churches, summarizing the strengths and weaknesses of their spiritual condition, precisely so that they can be prepared for the judgments of God. Today we'll briefly consider the situation of those seven churches, and each of us ought to ponder, if our Lord rendered his judgment right now, where are we at as a community? More particularly, where am I at? Now, before we go any further, let's remind ourselves that we're soldiers in the church militant. We're in this war with cosmic proportions. We just find ourselves here. We didn't get a vote on it. Here we are. In that regard, some comments worth pondering. As usual, through all the quotes, I will cut and paste and edit. Quote, every Catholic needs to understand this. We are part of God's forces in an epic war against Satan's forces. We entered the war zone when we were conceived, and we will leave it when our immortal soul departs for its eternal home. The person who says, look, I just want to be an ordinary Catholic, go to church every Sunday, leave my kids at the daycare center and not cause trouble, thinks Satan will accept, live and let live. My comment, there's no gentleman's agreement with the devil. Baptism signs us up in Christ's army. Many, however, are summer soldiers. Satan entices some Catholics to go through the motions and get their tickets punched. Mass once a week, confession once in a while, routine prayer every night, without actually seeking a true and deeply personal relationship with our Lord. These Catholics may be stunned when they meet their Maker. Our Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Jesus calls his soldiers to total commitment. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Close quote, Marty Barrett. So we're soldiers in the church militant. We've been placed here to fight, which means that we each have to take up, each one of us has to take up his cross and fall in the bloody footsteps of our leader, our commander, our Lord. Look what he went through. He's tormented and tempted by the devil, betrayed, denied, abandoned by his closest friends, abused, attacked, mistreated, Hated and persecuted by the priests and hierarchy of his own church. Hated by massive numbers of his own people. Mocked by the king. Put on trial. Found innocent. And then mercilessly scourged, mocked, crowned with thorns, and sentenced to death by the government. So if we're committed soldiers in the army of our Lord, if we're headed towards heaven, 
We have to follow in his bloody footsteps. So we shouldn't ever be surprised if we get similar treatment. It's reality. We can get mad or we can get sad, but it won't change anything. It's reality. Okay. Let's turn to the seven churches. The first church is in Ephesus. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them that are evil. And thou hast patience and hast endured for my name and hast not fainted. But I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first charity. Be mindful, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and do penance and do the first works. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaites, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Close quote our Lord. Ephesus was the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis, also called Diana. It had its share of those who practiced the occult arts. In Acts 19.19 we read, quote, Many of those residents of Ephesus who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who practiced magical arts brought their books together and burnt them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Close quote. In spite of the attraction at the level of fallen human nature to these sort of pagan practices, the Catholics in Ephesus have resisted falling into the worship of Artemis or into the practice of occult or magical arts. In fact, our Lord even compliments them for their hatred of the deeds of the Nicolaites, deeds which he also hates. So who are they and what were their deeds? Cornelius Lapide explains, quote, The Nicolaitans taught that it was permitted to fornicate and to promiscuously embrace women, even others' wives. Close quote. St. Irenaeus gives a few more details. Quote, The Nicolaitans led lives of unrestrained indulgence, teaching it as a matter of indifference to practice adultery and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Close quote. In other words, the Nicolaitans would fit right in our modern times. Their moral standards would indeed be indistinguishable from those of the society around us. But the Catholics of Ephesus have not fallen in those snares. But our Lord has something against the Catholics in Ephesus. They have left their first charity. What does that mean? It means that although they were once fervent in the service of our Lord, they've slacked off. Cornelius Lapid explains it's easy for man even one who is holy and perfect, to cool from his first fervor because it is difficult to resist all the difficulties and temptations which occur in a day. It's like rowing against a current. It's a typical problem. Sacred Scripture warns of it throughout. For example, in Second Thessalonians 3.13, we read, Brethren, do not be weary in well-doing. So that's the church in Ephesus. Second church is Smyrna. I know thy tribulation and thy poverty, but thou art rich and thou art blasphemed by them that say that are Jews or not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil will cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee the crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Close quote our Lord. In this case... For Smyrna, our Lord only has words of encouragement. These are people who have suffered tribulations and proven their virtues. But what does our Lord mean when he says they are poor but rich? 
The Catholics of Smyrna are materially poor, but spiritually rich. As one commentator, uh, Father Martindale, puts it, they had already suffered a new real poverty, not because the majority of the faithful there were slaves or unmoneyed, but because they were true to the laws of God that excluded them from so much that success implied. And also it is clear because of downright persecution from the Jews. How could fidelity to the laws of God possibly exclude Catholics from success and mean that they would suffer real poverty? Because it was virtually impossible to engage in a trade without belonging to a guild. Why does that matter? Because membership in a guild meant attending meetings and meals involving the worship of pagan idols. Remember in Acts 19 how the silversmiths rioted in Ephesus when St. Paul preached against Artemis. So to be a faithful Catholic meant also to have real constraints on the ability to earn a living and feed a family. In modern terms, this would include things like refusing to join the lodge, regardless of what the financial advantages might be, or refusing to join certain unions, like, for example, the NEA, which supports abortion, contraception, and a whole bunch of other pagan horrors, refusing to engage in false worship. What does our Lord mean when he says that the Jews are not true Jews, but they are the synagogue of Satan? He's referring to the unfortunate people of Israel who have rejected Christ. The Jews had previously been the chosen people of God, precisely because they accepted the divine revelation about the promised Redeemer. But by rejecting Christ, they rejected the divine revelation of Christ. In other words, they reject the true faith, and in so doing, they fell into apostasy. A man can be in only one of two possible camps here in this life. He's either in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. There are no other possibilities. To reject Christ, then, is to immediately leave the kingdom of God and enter into the kingdom of Satan, and in their unfortunate case, to be trapped in a religion that is explicitly anti-Christ. And as we can see from the life of St. Paul himself before his conversion, as well as by reading the Acts of the Apostles throughout, the Jews were heavily involved in the persecution of the church. Obviously, it's a sin to be anti-Semitic. That's just a particular type of sin of racism. That's a sin. But we all have to be vigorously, vigorously opposed to the religion of Judaism. It's a religion without a single sacrament, a religion without any sanctifying grace, a religion without salvation, trapping these poor people in a world without salvation. It's the worst kind of hatred of these poor people to not do everything in our power to bring them to the saving waters of baptism and a true love of Christ. Third church is Pergamos. Quote, I know where thou dwellest, where the seat of Satan is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. But I have against thee a few things, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaides. In like manner do penance. If not, I will come to thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Close quote, our Lord. Among the temples in Pergamos were those dedicated to the emperor, who was in fact the first one erected in the province, as well as a temple dedicated to Dionysius. In our day, emperor worship would pertain to Catholics who place political concerns and power over the laws of God and his church. And there are legions of them. 
Our Lord compliments the Catholics of Pergamos for holding fast to his name and not denying the faith. But then he criticized them for falling into the heirs of Balaam and the Nicolaites. We've already seen the Nicolaitans. Remember, they held that fornication, promiscuity, and adultery are okay. Our Lord states that some of the Catholics and Pergamos have fallen into the snares. In modern terms, this would include not only fornication and adultery, but also the use of pornography, which is just virtual adultery. So what does it mean to hold the doctrine of Balaam? Remember during the Exodus, the pagan sorcerer Balaam told the Moabites how to defeat the men of Israel by using moral corruption. Balaam told them to take their most beautiful daughters, deck them out, and then send them to go flirt with the men of Israel, but tell them not to yield to any impure desires unless the Israelites first offered sacrifice to the idols. And Moses tells us what happened. Quote, the people committed fornication with the daughters of Moab, who called them to their sacrifices. And they ate of the sacrifices and adored their gods. And Israel was initiated to Baalphagor, close quote. Cornelius Lapide tells us that Baalphagor is the same as Bacchus. And Bacchus is also known by the name Dionysius. Dionysius has a temple in Pergamos. Dionysius is a god of wine and intoxication. Dionysian worship involved festivals of drinking and wild dancing, flutes and drums, resulting in mass intoxicated frenzies in which all moral constraints were cast off and the participants gave themselves over to their carnal desires. We've got his temples all over the place. In modern times, Dionysian rites would include rock and roll concerts, MTV, high school proms, bar scene. The difference between then and now is really just electricity. Fourth church is Thyatira. Quote, I know thy works and thy faith and thy charity and thy ministry and thy patience and thy last works which are more than the former. But I have against thee a few things, because thou suffers the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat of things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her a time that she might do penance, and she will not repent of her fornication. And I will kill her children with death, and I will give to every one of you according to your works." Whosoever has not this doctrine and who does not know the depths of Satan, as they say, I will not put upon you any other burden. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Close quote, our Lord. Our Lord compliments the Catholics of Thyatira for their works and their faith and their charity, which are growing. But he condemns them for the presence of this Jezebel woman. Cornelius Lapide states that, quote, Just as the Jezebel of the Old Testament propagated the worship of Baal, This Jezebel was a powerful woman from the nobility who, pretending to be a prophetess, propagated the sect of the Nicolaitans, teaching that it was licit to fornicate and eat foods offered to idols, close quote. Besides these same Nicolaitan errors, Father Martindale says that this Jezebel was also inciting the faithful to a sort of fusion between Catholicism and pagan practices, and that the deep things of Satan that she professed to teach to her inner circle of initiates, secret doctrine, was a type of of Gnostic theosophy. In modern terms, we can think of the fusion between the neo-pagan environmental movement, earth spirituality, 
in our holy religion that's happening in certain religious orders. We can think of uh, the people involved in the Lodge or the New Age movement or Sophia worship or Wicca, especially within certain female congregations. A lot of this stuff that goes on in the ecumenical movement, especially the United Religions Initiative. Fifth church is Sardis. Quote, I know thy works, that thou hast the name of being alive, and thou art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain, which are ready to die. For I find not thy works full before my God. Have in mind, therefore, in what manner thou hast received and heard, and observe and do penance. If then thou shalt not watch, I will come to thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know at what hour I will come to thee. But thou hast a few names in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, because they are worthy. He that shall overcome shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Close quote, our Lord. It's a frightening letter. As Cornelius Lapide points out, in this letter, our Lord reproves all the faithful who have fallen into mortal sin. So by both means of threats and by means of promises, he might excite and impel them to rise again from their sins through penance. And he reproves bishops and priests. How many perish, not because they live bad lives, but because they did not correct the sins of others committed to their care? The church in Sardis is spiritually dead, with only a few exceptions. They're in mortal sin. Instead of converting the world around them, the Catholics in Sardis have been converted by the world. In Sardis, Sibylle, the earth goddess, goddess of nature and fertility, was worshipped. Her worship involved dancing and impure rites accompanied by frenzied music made by flutes, drums, and cymbals. It was led by strange priests. They're self-emasculated. They wear women's clothes and also wear long and frequently bleached hair that was done up in the style of a woman. Modern terms, society was not unlike San Francisco, Washington, D.C., or some of our seminaries. And the church in Sardis, which appears to be live but yet is dead, is like any Catholic church where the pews are full of people who have fallen into spiritual death by becoming worldly, perhaps by not going to Mass every Sunday or being sterilized or using contraception or not forgiving their enemies. So in mortal sin, the confession lines are short, the hours of confession are very limited, and everyone is going to communion. Church in Sardis is like any parish, diocese, or individual Catholic in which there's worldliness, a general loss of the horror of sin, and a loss of a vivid awareness of the reality of eternal damnation. It's terrifying. The times we live in are very, very serious. They're very serious. The sixth church is in Philadelphia. Quote, I know thy works, 
Behold, I have given before thee a door opened which no man can shut, because thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will bring of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and adore before thy feet, and they shall know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I will also keep thee from the hour of the temptation, which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Close quote our Lord. For Philadelphia, our Lord has only words of encouragement, especially to persevere. And he's promising them to protect them from the upcoming trials and even to convert their adversaries. Cornelius Lapide points out that the faithful of Christ in Philadelphia were zealous in piety and the worship of God with the zeal of new converts to the faith, and that although they were not yet advanced in the virtues, they were happily growing in them and thus were protected by God. Our Lord commends them for keeping his word and not denying his name, which means they have the true faith and believe the teaching of the church. God is always looking for people who keep his word. God is always looking for people who keep the commandments and believe everything that he has revealed and then reach out to their neighbors with love and compassion. God is always looking for people who believe everything he says simply because he says so and then act according to those beliefs. And that is precisely what the people at church in Philadelphia were doing. Are we? The seventh and final church is Laodicea. Quote, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. But because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will begin to vomit thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and made wealthy and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Such as I love, I rebuke and chastise. Be zealous, therefore, and do penance. Behold, I stand at the gate and knock. If any man shall hear my voice and open to me the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that shall overcome, I will give to sit with me in my throne, as I also have overcome and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Close quote, our Lord. This is a frightening letter. Laodicea was a proud, self-sufficient city. In fact, the wealthiest city in the region, the center for emperor worship. This wealthy, self-sufficient attitude is rubbed off on the Catholics. So our Lord rebukes the members of this church for their lukewarmness, their spiritual poverty, their blindness, and their spiritual nakedness. In modern terms, you might think any diocese, parish, or individual that has a wealthy, comfortable life and yet doesn't give the glory to God for whatever gifts God has blessed him with. Nor does he handle carefully the wealth with which God has blessed him, a wealth which can be such a great danger to our salvation. A diocese or a parish or an individual that does not use that wealth in a manner pleasing to God by supporting the poor, works of charity, 
works of magnificence. In a country like this, we should be building magnificent churches. We should be supporting beautiful music and great artists. Why does God give us all this wealth? And what have we done with it? This letter contains one of the most frightening lines in sacred scripture. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot, but because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will begin to vomit thee out of my mouth. What does lukewarmness mean in terms of the spiritual life? Short summary from Cornelius Lapidae. He is lukewarm who fluctuates between virtue and vice and indeed wishes to live a virtuous life and avoid a life of sin and vice, but flees from the battle with his vices and the effort to grow in virtue. The great Garrigou explains in more detail, quote, lukewarmness is affection for venial sin or the disposition of the will to commit certain venial sins deliberately when the occasion arises. In other words, lukewarmness is a half-hearted attention to spiritual concerns. There are two principal causes for lukewarmness. One, the neglect of little things in the service of God. And two, the refusal to make the sacrifices he asks. The neglect of little things in the service of God and the refusal to make the sacrifices he asks. Whoever habitually neglects little things in the service of God will end up by neglecting great ones. Close quote. Whoever habitually neglects the little things in the service of God will end by neglecting the great ones. In spite of the terrors of this letter, our Lord, whose love incarnate, closes with that wonderful invitation to Holy Communion. Behold, I stand at the gate and knock. If any man shall hear my voice and open to me the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Let's close. All these letters are written to commend and warn, to prepare the faithful for upcoming trials. Next week, we'll consider those trials. In the meanwhile, let us prepare ourselves for our own upcoming trials. We live in serious times. Very, very serious times. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches.